The views and opinions expressed in this program are those of the guests and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the hosts and creators of this program. This is the Pet Buzz. This is the Pet Buzz. Freshly collected with news, celebrity pet gossip, and the latest pet trends. The Pet Buzz gives you the latest 411 on everything pet related. Everything pet related. Hosted by pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and Dr. Michael Fleck. And here's the Dynamic Pet Duo. Greetings to our pet-loving listening audience who tunes in each week from around the world. This is the Pet Buzz, the ultimate in pet talk radio, and we have a really big show and don't want to lose any moments. We can't waste any moments, so let's kick off the show with a weekly countdown. Well, in segment four, we're talking with Purdue University's Dr. Carrie Rodriguez, who will talk about her latest studies that examine the tasks that trained service dogs perform for PTSD veterans. Three. In segment three, Charlotte and I talk with Oklahoma State University's Dr. Stefano Concetto about when pets need anesthesia. More celebrity pet news in segment number two by me. And my latest flex facts. And in segment one, this past week, I noticed there are a lot of mushrooms popping up all around my house. Some are open, some are capped, and others are yellow. Of course, I had to rip them out of the ground because I was afraid my curious and hungry dogs would eat them. Joining us today to educate myself as well as our listening audience about fungi is University of Florida's pathology resident mushroom specialist, Dr. Matthew Smith. Dr. Smith seeks to address fungal biology topics in Florida and serves as an agent to enhance expertise on fungi at the state level. Dr. Smith, welcome to the Pet Buzz. Great. It's great to be on with you. Thank you. So why do pet owners need to know about mushrooms? Well, I think the most important thing to know is that there are some mushrooms that can be toxic, uh, and some dogs in particular uh, just seem to like to eat mushrooms, so you have to be aware. If your dog is a grazer, then you have to pay attention to mushrooms. Great answer. A lot of dogs out there are grazers. So at least in our yards, mushrooms seem to be springing up so quickly. Under what conditions do they grow? And what's the best way to remove them, for example, in my yard? Well, um, they're highly dependent on moisture for when they show up. So you'll see them springing up after you get a lot of rain, and that'll that'll be different in different parts of the country. Um, but they're definitely going to come up after you get wet soil. And then in terms of the best ways to get rid of them, um, because they're living in the soil or in the leaves that are falling or wood that's on the ground, um, you can't really eliminate them permanently. You just have to look for the mushrooms. And when you see some uh, in your yard, if you have a grazer, uh, a dog that likes to eat mushrooms, then you just want to pluck them and, and move them to a new spot. Put should them I in be, your compost pile. Should I be wearing, like, gloves when I pluck them from the soil? That's a good question. No, you can't You can't get sick from um, having mushrooms touch you. It's only from ingestion. So okay. you can... You can safely handle them with your hands. Okay, so next question. What does a toxic mushroom look like, and how serious is mushroom toxicity? That is a really good question. Unfortunately, I can't really describe for you what one um, toxic mushroom looks like because there's a bunch of different ones. So most species are not toxic, 
but there are a couple that can be very, very toxic and, and quite serious. But that's part of why I'm a mushroom expert who has a job at the University of Florida that helps <laughs> with that, because they're really hard to identify. So let's say our dog eats a mushroom, and we're not sure. But So I think it's a really good idea if you were to describe mushroom toxicity so that pet owners who listen to the show can recognize it. So I will say that most of the mushrooms that cause problems for pets are are just causing gastrointestinal symptoms. They're, you're going to see uh, vomiting or sometimes diarrhea from your dog. They'll maybe drink extra water, and they just seem to be off. Um, and it's really hard to distinguish those gastrointestinal symptoms from other gastrointestinal symptoms. If your dog has an ongoing problem that doesn't go away, uh, then you need to go and take them to the vet because they need to check whether they've had kidney or liver damage. And the best thing that you can do for mushrooms, if you see that your dog has eaten a particular mushroom, is to document it really well. Take photographs from multiple angles and be sure to hold on to that specimen in case an expert needs to look at it. So what would be a treatment for mushroom poisoning? Sure. Well, I'm not a veterinarian, but I can tell you that I coordinate with veterinarians. And usually what they're doing is just giving um, palliative care. So they're giving your dog or your cat or whatever an IV. They're monitoring their function of their liver and kidneys, especially. They're making sure that they don't get dehydrated. Um, and they try to figure out whether this is a mushroom that might have just caused gastrointestinal problems or had done more damage. Um, and so they'll also try to identify the mushroom because that can help sometimes. So lastly, let's just talk about prevention one more time because I've been getting up early, going out in the garden, kicking up all the mushrooms and throwing them away. Or should I call my lawn guy and have him put something on the lawn? Well, so this is one of the most challenging issues is you really can't get rid of mushrooms because they're in the soil, they're in the lawn, they're in wood. So they're in different substrates, and the body of the fungus is inside of those substrates. So you can't really eliminate them. There's nothing that you can spray on your lawn that's going to totally eliminate uh, mushrooms from popping up, okay. unfortunately. There's not really a good treatment for that. So the, the real kick, the real uh, trick, rather, is to, is to go and look for them before your dog goes out and might graze on them. Yeah, and I also think it's a great idea to know what kind of mushrooms are out in your yard. Because, I mean, for example, some yellows popped up, and I'd never seen those before out in my yard. Yes, I always encourage people to learn more about their local mushrooms. They can be very tricky, um, but you can. Uh, there's a lot of resources online, and uh, you're going to give some information on my website. So people can look on there for a guide about how to identify mushrooms and learn more about them. Well, give us your website. Uh, well, I am available at the University of Florida, so I'm a professor at the University of Florida in the Department of Plant Pathology, and, you, and if you look up uh, mushroom identification, University of Florida, it will pop right up, and it's right on my website. Once again, my name is Matthew E. Smith in Plant Pathology. Great. Well, everyone, that was Dr. Smith, Dr. Matthew Smith, joining us today. We appreciate him sharing his expertise with us. I actually learned a lot from our little chat. So I'm really happy that he joined us. And now I can remove 
the mushrooms from my yard safely and also recognize mushroom toxicity. Well, stay tuned. We'll be back with What You Love, Celebrity Pet News and Flex Facts. You don't want to miss this. You are listening to The Pet Buzz with pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. We would love to communicate with you via social media. Use the Pet Buzz social media channels on Twitter and Facebook to make a comment or ask a question. Post a picture of your pet on Instagram and tell us about his or her unique personality. You can also write to us at team at thepetbuzz.com. For more information about our show, our guests, and buzzworthy freebies, visit us at thepetbuzz.com. So I just moved in with this family, and it's embarrassing. The little one, he likes to go outside and crawl around in the giant litter box. I don't know what he's doing. I mean, I was born, and I knew how to use the litter box. That's disgusting. I really hope he grows out of this for his sake. A person is the best thing to happen to a shelter pet. Be that person. Adopt. I'm petrinologist Charlotte Reed with a healthy pet, healthy you tip. There are many reasons that you might have to shelter at home with your pets, such as unsafe air quality, dangerous roads, and or high winds and flying debris, but you have to be prepared. So here are some suggestions. Make sure your pet's inside. If it's unsafe for you to be outside, it's unsafe for him too. Know the location of your pet's emergency go bag. It should have already been stocked with extra food, water, first aid kit, and other essentials your pet needs. Take your pet with you to a room that's safe. The room's location is based on whether you are sheltering from a hurricane, earthquake, tornado, flood, or blizzard. If there's a wildfire, it's best to take your pet and leave the premises immediately. Bring a battery-operated radio to ensure that you can get updates from emergency officials, even if the power goes out and your phone or internet connection or down. If time allows, move your pet's favorite bed or blanket to your safe room so that you can make him as comfortable as possible until the threat passes. Since pets can get restless if cooped up inside in one room, bring items to keep them engaged, such as toys, games, and learning activities. Make sure your pet has a place to relieve himself. Keeping puppy pee pads on hand can be useful for this purpose, as can potty training your dog to go indoors. Have a few disposable litter boxes for cats, too. Make sure to have cleaning supplies on hand in case of an accident. Keep your pet away from the windows. Debris may be flying around during a storm due to high winds. In fact, the Center for Disease Control and Prevention says that flying debris is the most common cause of injury during a hurricane. Be ready for you and your pet to leave at a moment's notice. Keep your dog's leash, crate, or carrier, and any necessarily travel gear near the exit. For cats, have a carrier or pop-up shelter and other essentials. Once gone, you can refer to your emergency evacuation plan. You know, pets know when there's panic in the air, so try to remain as calm as possible. This is pet trendologist Charlotte Reed with a healthy pet, healthy you tip. Stay safe. Warmer temperatures mean more time outside. You have sunscreen for yourself, but what about Fido? According to the American Animal Hospital Association and the American College of Veterinary Dermatology, pets need sunscreen too. I love two things, sports and my dog Chester. Where I go, he goes. To the beach, to play soccer, everywhere. We spend a lot of time together in the sun, so I always carry a can of EpiPet sunscreen. So Chester is protected from the sun's harmful UV rays. I just spray it on and I don't have to worry. Chester is protected, so I know my sports buddy is going to be with me for a long time. Thanks, EpiPet. 
Use EpiPet Sun Protector, the only FDA-approved pet sunscreen on short-haired, light-colored, hairless, golden retrievers, and other dogs susceptible to skin cancer. Contained in a sports bottle, EpiPet allows you to turn the bottle upside down, making it easier to spray your dog all over to protect your dog from the sun all day and every day. Visit epi-pet.com. Thank you for joining us on the Pet Buzz this morning. This show is hosted by the Dynamic Pet Duo. I'm petrodologist Charlotte Reed. And I'm veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. Hey, and now I'm going to talk about celebrity pet news starting off on a sad note. Well, I'm sorry to say that we have reported two pet deaths. Orlando Bloom's Mighty is reported to have died. Bloom didn't say much about how the dog died, but he did say the dog's collar was found. The Pirates of the Caribbean actor got a beautiful tattoo on his chest of a heart with the dog's name over it. So Mighty the Poodle will always be with him. Also, Ellen DeGeneres and her wife Portia de Rossi are still mourning the death of their beloved dog, Wolf. DeGeneres wrote, he bought us so much love and joy. Will rest in peace, Mighty and Wolfie. Rainbow Bridge awaits. Maybe you will meet my dogs, Roan, Hudson, and Thames. And I'm going to share pictures of Bloom's tattoo and Wolfie de Rossi DeGeneres. Well, on a news note, Dennis Quaid has a new pet podcast with writer Jimmy Jelinek. Jelinek is a chief content officer for Playboy Enterprises and editorial director of Playboy and Playboy.com. More content for folks to listen to. Check it out. And now what you guys have been waiting for, Flex Facts. I have to admit, I'm always psyched to hear what topic we're going to talk about today. Welcome to Just the Facts. Just the Facts. Fact or fiction? Just the Facts, ma'am. You want answers. I want the truth. It's going to take long. You got the time. So, Dr. Fleck, Mm -hmm. what's the topic? What are we going to talk about today? Well, it's a little bit complicated. Let me tell you a quick story of what happened to me last weekend in the practice. A woman came into my Red Barn Discount Clinic in Bradenton, Florida, with her new French bulldog puppy. Okay. Okay? New French bulldog puppy. She only wanted a rabies shot, though. Okay. Because her breeder told her, and listen to this, never let a vet give vaccines. That's kind of strange. It is totally strange, but not the first time I've heard it. Okay. So I asked her if she was planning to vaccinate the dog. She said, yeah. yeah. Okay. But she was going to buy the shots from a local feed store. Okay. A lot of people do that. A so lot of people do that. Okay, yes. So is that, is that a problem? There's issues with, is the vaccination an effective and well taken care of product by the feed stores. Okay, so it sounds like there could be a few so problems. So there can be some issues with that, yes. Okay, so why explain what those issues could possibly be. But the problem with buying from perhaps a feed store or online is that you do not know if those vaccinations are prepared and stored well in the store. At a veterinary hospital, we know how to prepare and take care of our vaccinations. In the feedlots, that's not their priority. Right. And you're not saying that all feedlots are bad. No, you're not saying that. I'm not saying that at all. And I'm not saying that the vaccines may not be effective. Okay. All right. But they may not be effective depending okay. upon 
the, the feedlot store and how the care is. Okay. Are vaccines dated? And then you have to worry about the dating of it. Is it, are these expiring? Are these close to expiration with the storage that the feedlot has done? Lots and lots and lots of questions. Okay. So they can spoil them, right? If, if they pass the expiration, you can call it being spoiled. I would just call it being ineffective. Okay. So, you know, it's, I'm going to compare it to going to the supermarket and buying a, like something on the shelf that I didn't check the date for. Once I got it home, I checked the date and it had expired. Absolutely. So I threw it out. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. So there's, I mean, not saying that all supermarkets are bad either. I'm just saying that it just so happened. Maybe this particular container of whatever was sitting on the shelf and nobody checked it and passed it. See, you're getting that. You're getting that. And that's what we want all of our, 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 our lovely pet owners. They need to get this. Okay. So you're giving me some food for thought. Okay. So, so here's my question about this. How is she, once she gets the vaccines, how is she going to give them to her dog? Does she know how to administer them? Does she know how to fill the syringe properly? And does she know where to stick the dog? What if she sticks her finger and fills her thumb with medication? I, I mean, me personally, and I'm kind of brave sometimes, I wouldn't have a clue how to do that. Well, I certainly hope she doesn't start barking or meowing <laughs> after she sticks herself. Okay. So these are really, you've really posed some really good questions. And my answer is probably not. Okay. They probably don't know. But there is more. She also told, listen to this. She also told me now she went and bought this purebred dog uh-huh. from a backyard breeder, which probably is more expensive than a reputable breeder. Okay. So she spent her own money for this. It's probably um, a few thousand dollars. Yes. But here's the kicker. She also told me that she was going to get the dog spayed from a local rescue group for free. Okay, but a lot of people do spay and neuters. And, 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 and we, we, we care about that for those people that are indigent. We want to help those people. And for people that are rescuing a pet from the okay. shelter. So did you know that particular rescue group? Yes. Okay. That particular group encourages dog ownership for a wide variety of people, and they are known to help people who are indigent mm-hmm. because they believe pets are good for us. They are and good for we us. know that. Right. That's what we preach every week. But if she paid like two or three thousand dollars for the sick puppy, potentially a problem. Mm-hmm. Well, we know it's going to be a problem. Right. In the future. I know that from well, my that... experience as a medical person. Uh huh. She doesn't sound poor then. She may be poor now. I don't know, but she went out and purchased this dog probably for two or three thousand dollars, okay. like you say. So by using this rescue group, it sounds like she's duping them because she's not poor if she can afford a two or three thousand dollar dog. And again, these things are for indigent people. Okay. All right. So don't forget that this was a purebred dog that was purchased she by this person. Right. She didn't get so a she rescue. spent the money. Right. Yeah. She didn't get rescue money. To purchase the dog. Right. And she didn't also get her purebred dog from a rescue, purebred dog rescue. No. She bought it from a breeder who indicated that veterinarians should not be administering vaccines. Yeah. Okay. So that bad information was being transmitted to. This is kind of re- the reason that you have a discount clinic to help people. This is why I have a discount clinic because I believe that vet med has gotten, you know, a little expensive. No, Some, so expensive. Well, it's gotten expensive. Mm-hmm. Some things the expenses are impossible to reduce in cost, but for these things like preventative medicine care, etc., those things can be can be challenged with 
with costs of, of different veterinary hospitals. I mean, pet owners of all kinds use your clinic. It's not just poor people, right? Absolutely not. Everybody comes to the clinic because certainly the, the cost, it's cost effective, but you provide a wonderful care and a wonderful treatment protocols and, and wonderful health and, health. Expert, and your you expertise. Know, our expertise and our advice that we give them about how to care for their pet and how to care for their pet as they go along in life. It's really a very complicated situation. But you, but you have poor people and seniors on fixed incomes and and you also have people who are not poor. I but mean, what's so rewarding to me is that I can make sure that they have total protection for their pet, for all the diseases that can be deadly to the to the pet, at a at a at a at a price that doesn't destroy their but, pocketbook. But that's why you're angry about the whole thing, right? I guess I I would just say that ignorance is more than bliss, and then there is stupidity, and it is obviously a little infuriating. And I'm going to end in this segment by saying. That's all the Flex Facts for this week. Well, on that note, my I Like You the Week will bring you an ooh, an ah, and a God bless, so stay tuned. They call me Prince like I'm royalty or something, but the places I've lived ain't no palaces. So I don't need grilled salmon or a new scratching post. Just give me a cardboard box and a can of tuna, and we're good. You can even change my name. I'm cool being the kitty formerly known as Prince. A person is the best thing to happen to a shelter pet. Be that person. Adopt. Tever Pet knows there's a lot in your life that you worry about. We want to make sure your pet's flea and tick protection isn't one of them. Tever Pet offers vet-quality flea and tick protection that has the same active ingredients as leading brands like Canine Advantix 2 and Frontline Plus, but that cost much less, which means you can give your pet total flea protection worry-free. And the best part is you can get Tever Pet flea and tick topicals delivered right to your door when you shop on TeverPet.com. Tever Pet, helping you and your pet live your best life. Welcome back. You are listening to the Pet Buzz, the best in pet talk radio. I'm veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. And I'm petrondologist Charlotte Reed. That's the way it has to be because that's the way I like it. It's genius. I like it. I love it so much. I like it. It's to die for. I like it. It's all about her incredible journey. A dog that jumped out of a car window on a South Carolina highway has miraculously been found two weeks later, nearly 600 miles away. The dog named Belle escaped from the moving car near Charleston, South Carolina on July 15th, according to Tim Whitfield, whose 90-year-old mother owns Belle. Whitfield put out a call for help on Facebook at the time and said he bought the puppy for his mother after her dog of 16 years recently died. His mother, as you can imagine, was heartbroken after hearing that the dog was lost. After nearly two weeks of searching, Whitfield learned over the weekend, that's last weekend, that a car of Florida residents grabbed Belle out of traffic after spotting the animal while traveling through Charleston to Miami. The rescuers said they saved Belle because they were afraid she was going to be hit by oncoming cars. They then tracked Whitfield through his social media posts. 
Whitfield thanked all the people who helped him share Bell's story in a message posted to Facebook last Sunday. He described the dog being covered as a miracle from God. He wrote, our God deserves all the glory because this is an absolute miracle. A great reminder that when all seems lost, hope must be a constant thought, he wrote. Just goes to show you, microchip your dog as soon as possible and purchase dog tags with your current phone number, even if that's your cell phone number, at your nearest pet store to keep your pet safe. Also, most importantly, keep your pet restrained when he's in the car and keep the windows down to a minimum. Well, let's move on with our next guest. He's here and we're pleased to have him join us today. And if you didn't know, tens of thousands of pets undergo general anesthesia every year in the United States. But still, pet parents like me worry. Wouldn't you like to learn more about anesthesia for pets? I would. So joining us today is veterinarian Dr. Stefano DiConcetto, an associate professor in the Department of Veterinary Clinical Sciences at the Oklahoma State University College of Veterinary Medicine, Veterinary Medical Teaching Hospital. He is board certified in anesthesia and analgesia. Dr. DiCaccetto, Charlotte and I would love to welcome you to the Pet Buzz today. Thank you very much for inviting me. Pleasure to be here. Well, we're really happy to have you join us today because this is a topic that is not talked about very much with pet owners. Should pet owners be concerned when their pet are going to receive anesthesia for surgical procedures? I would say that fortunately there have been significant improvements in the way we handle anesthesia in our pets. So we should never assume that anesthesia is a risk-free procedure. We should more look at it like a controlled mystery. We are controlling the majority of it. There is always a part that escapes our control. But the statistics is very promising. From a large-scale survey in the United Kingdom about 15 years ago, uh, it was calculated that the overall mortality rate due to anesthesia for cats is 0.24%, and for dogs it is 0.17%. Wow, those are pretty low. Very low. And, you know, compared to most people's fear and they're worried about what's going to happen to their dog. I think sometimes they worry more about their dog having anesthesia than actually the procedure that they're getting, especially if it's an older dog. Yeah, it's very interesting because in the exam room, when I tell somebody that that we need to do dental cleaning of their their teeth or or there's a growth need to be removed, they're fine and all of a sudden I can see the fear. But do we have to use general anesthetic? Yes, we do. So the fear is there for that. Well, can you discuss some of the significant advances in anesthetic and analgesic drugs, as well as techniques that have drastically reduced the incidence of domestic animals dying during surgical procedures? Absolutely. There have been a couple of factors that have been identified. Number one, the new general anesthetic drugs are much less likely to cause cardiac arrhythmias. And that has been a significant improvement. And number two, we have moved towards what is called a balanced anesthetic technique, which means that we are going to administer a combination of a variety of different drugs at lower doses, as opposed to using one single drug, which was done in the past when we were limited in the choice of drugs available. 
Another significant improvement has been the monitoring of patients under anesthesia. We are doing a much better job at monitoring. We are also doing a much better job at controlling and preventing pain from surgery. Are these, a lot of these advances really based on human medicine? I would say that we have certainly um, copied, so to speak, several approaches, but I would have to give credit to the veterinary profession because there has been a tremendous amount of research performed on animals for animals, which has given us a better understanding of not only anesthesia, but also surgery and the techniques that we apply to animals. So yes, there has been collaboration, but there has also been a clear merit of veterinarians in investing in this aspect of the profession. As a follow-up to that, can you share with our listening pet owner audience what criterion we as veterinarians use to assess pets' anesthetic risks? Yes, of course. Uh, Some of the common factors that we look at and veterinarians look at before deciding or giving advice on what the anesthetic risk is are the age of the patient. We know from the statistics that very old and very young animals are at higher risk. The body weight and unfortunately the incidence of obesity. It is well known that obese pets are at much higher risk for general anesthesia. The presence of concurrent diseases, for example, renal disease or cardiac disease, and uh, the type of procedure that is going to be performed. A very simple, short surgery in a young, fit animal carries a very low risk. A more invasive and lengthy procedure or more complex procedure carries a much higher risk. Really important things to know and things that you guys should think about if your pet is going to have surgery. And this is why it's really important, especially to make sure your dog or cat or other animal is evaluated evaluated on a regular basis and healthy and is not fat, everybody. we got (laughs) to slim those pets down like we have to slim ourselves down. Mm -hmm. Well, if you've just joined us, Dr. Fleck and I are talking with board certified in anesthesia and analgesia, a new word I had to learn, mm-hmm. veterinarian Dr. Stefano DiConcetto, an associate professor in the Department of Veterinary Clinical Sciences at Oklahoma State University College of Veterinary Medicine's Veterinary Medical Teaching Hospital. Whew. I know, all in one breath, about pets during <laughs> surgery. So, doctor, lastly, how can pet owners prepare their pets for anesthesia prior to their surgical procedure? It is very important to have a conversation with a veterinarian and to fully understand what the implications of the procedure are. Secondly, it is very important to follow the instructions. The most important is to withdraw food, generally from the night before surgery. Going under anesthesia with food in the stomach may be a catastrophic event. Another important thing is to consult with the veterinarian with regard to the treatment that the patient is receiving. Perhaps some animals are on chronic treatment. The veterinarian can advise regarding whether the treatment should be suspended for the day of surgery or continued. And whenever possible, put the pet on a diet if they are overweight. This is particularly valid for procedures that can be scheduled a long time ahead and would give you time to put your pet on a diet. 
See, it's about the slimming down. It's about the slimming down. <laughs> right, Dr. Steph? It's about the Absolutely. slimming down. Well, Dr. D. Cacetto, thank you so much for being with us today. Such an important topic that we need to have people feel comfortable when they're having their pets go under surgical procedures. That was very helpful. Thank you, Charlotte, and thank you, Dr. Fleck, for having me as a guest. Pleasure. You are listening to The Pet Buzz with pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. We love to communicate with you via social media. Use The Pet Buzz social media channels on Twitter and Facebook to make a comment or ask a question. Post a picture of your pet on Instagram and tell us about his or her unique personality. You can also write to us at team at thepetbuzz.com. For more information about our show, our guests, and our buzzworthy freebies, visit us at thepetbuzz.com. What would you do with two and a half more years with your dog? Two and a half more years of fetch, of walks, of love. Studies show that overweight dogs live two and a half years less on average than dogs at a healthy weight. But Slim Paws is here to help. Veterinarian recommended weight loss in one daily chew for your dog. Slim Paws, for the long, healthy life of your dog. I'm petrologist Charlotte Reed. And I'm veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. We are urban, suburban, and, and country. And now, Pet Buzz News from around the globe. Right now, let's talk about global pet news. Well, it's happening all over the world. Cats and dogs are interrupting conference calls, news appearances, sermons, weather, and business reports by fighting, stealing milk, and showing some tail. Check out our social media channels to see this feline-tastic in dog rules series of interruptions. I'm going to be posting one video each day for the next few days to give you a daily chuckle of what pets do best, seeking our attention even at some of our most serious moments. Hey, it's a COVID world, and working from home with its distractions seems to be the new world order in which we need to pause a moment. So science has shown that service dogs can benefit some veterans with PTSD, but the exact role service dogs play in the day-to-day lives of veterans and the helpfulness of the tasks they perform is less known. So joining us on the Pet Buzz is Dr. Carrie Rodriguez. Dr. Rodriguez is a Ph.D. at the Purdue University Center for the Human-Animal Bond. Her research has primarily focused on the psychosocial and the physiological effects for assistance dogs for individuals with physical disabilities or mental disorders. However, her broad research interests include understanding the mechanisms of human-animal interactions, as well as the individual differences that may predict successful therapeutic outcomes. Dr. Rodriguez, welcome to the Pet Buzz today. Thank you for having me. So before we get started, let's review your previous study and how this current one is a follow-up to that study. Absolutely. So in our first preliminary study, which came out in 2018, We compared a group of veterans with a PTSD service dog to a group of veterans on the wait list 
to receive a service done. And we found that the group of veterans with PTSD service dogs not only had significantly lower levels of PTSD symptomology, but they also reported lower levels of depression, lower anxiety, better sleep, and importantly, they were less socially isolated, meaning that they were getting out of their house more and engaging in society more. So now tell us about your most recent study involving trained task service dogs performed for veterans with PTSD. So our first study found that, in fact, PTSD service dogs are having measurable impact on veterans' lives. But we wanted to know what this practice actually looks like on a day-to-day basis and how that might differ across individual veterans or over time. So how are the service dogs actually making a difference in terms of what they are trained to do and maybe what is just inherent to being a dog? And we wanted to look at what PTSD symptoms are actually being helped the most by these behaviors. Cool. Well, you know, I want to just say one thing before you ask your next question, Dr. Vlad. You know, these studies are so important. Absolutely. And I think it's important to give credit to everybody who was involved in the study. And also, as a practicing veterinarian, I have clients that have these these dogs. So people with uh, PTSD in my practice. So I appreciate this oh so much. Okay, so let's talk about what did the study reveal? So after surveying over 200 veterans um, that had received a service dog from Canine School Warriors, we found that, in fact, all of the behaviors that the service dogs were doing were in some capacity valuable for veterans' PTSD. But we found that the ability of the service dog to respond to the veterans' anxiety on a daily basis was perceived as the most important behavior, the most often that was used on a daily basis, and the behavior that helps the most number of PTSD symptoms. So it really uh, seems that although being a dog might be therapeutic, that these trained behaviors are really what's helping the PTSD symptoms day-to-day basis. You know, my next question is one that I'm sure people that have pets every day wondering if their pet could become a service dog for this. But can you talk about the debate on what kind of training PTSD service dogs need in order to be effective? and how their assistance may be different than what a pet dog can provide. Absolutely. So the definition of a service dog is a dog that is trained for uh, tasks or work that are directly related to the disability. So the behaviors must be helping that disability in some way. And at the end of the day, everyone's interests are in helping veterans. And one of the important questions in that regard is what should you actually train a dog for to be the most helpful for veterans' PTSD symptoms from a mental health and rehabilitation point of view. And because the placement of service dogs for these mental disorders, like PTSD and autism, are actually relatively new, there is continuing need for research to come in and actually quantify what kind of benefits individuals are actually getting from certain trained tasks. Great answer. I know it is. I'm so glad we, we're doing this interview because I think it's so, so important. I mean, service dogs do cost a lot and of money. And I think everybody out there listening knows how important them. this is, too. Absolutely. Okay. So, um, mm-hmm. Dr. Carey, can you discuss some of the private and public trained tasks that these service dogs perform for the veterans and how many times a week these tasks really are kind of required? So some of the tasks that a PTSD service dog are trained to do is to be sensitive to changes in the veteran's mood and anxiety and actually respond to that. So, for example, if a veteran is having a traumatic flashback or panic attack, 
the dog can actually pick up on his or her increasing heart rate and behavior and either lick or nudge the veteran with their nose or even climb into their lap to encourage the veteran to focus on the dog and breathe while petting the dog. And then in public, uh, so out of the house, these service dogs can be really helpful for veterans who experience anxiety in crowds uh, or in loud public places by actually standing in front of or behind the veteran to quote-unquote watch their back to help them feel more safe and secure in public. So we found that uh, all of these tasks were used by veterans on a daily basis on average, but that they tended to actually decrease over time as veterans became less reliant on their service dogs. Well, you know, all in all, our service dogs, and this is a question I'm sure the audience wants to hear, are they a standalone cure for PTSD veterans? PTSD service dogs are not a cure for PTSD and certainly shouldn't be viewed as magic. For one, each veteran may have a completely different experience and perceive different benefits from their service dog to the next. But also, um, our research and other research studies does suggest that measurable benefits can occur. So uh, you definitely might have uh, decreases to your anxiety, to your depression, better sleep, etc. We hope that our research will continue to provide more information about how these service dogs are beneficial in certain areas of life and maybe aren't beneficial in other areas of life. So really encouraging accurate expectations about how a dog may help veterans' lives and veterans' families' lives. So, so interesting. So I have my last question. Where can people learn more about your study? Can you give us a website? Yeah, our website is humananimalinteraction.org. You can read about all of our service dog research, and all of our publications are also on our website. Right, and we'll make sure we put a link up on our social media channels so people can learn more. So, Dr. Rodriguez, we are going to let you go, but thank you so much. Great. And we appreciate everything that you do. Great, great work you're doing. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Okay, everybody, that's a wrap. Well, it's too soon to wrap the show. So before we go, we want to give you a preview for next week's show. It's wrap already? It's already time. So next week, we're going to talk about race and diversity and how it pertains to pets and the pet industry. So we're going to talk a bit. Veterinarians, scientists, dog trainers. We're even going to have a segment about dogs being racist. It will be a great segment. It's going to be ama- It's No, it's going to be an amazing it's show. Just a, an, an amazing, amazing show. show. Okay especially considering what's going on. What's going on in America today. Right, the world exactly. today. Okay, uh, thank our guests. Okay, special thanks to our guests, Dr. Matthew Smith, Stefano D. Concetto, and Dr. Kerry Rodriguez. And of course, we must always thank our sponsors, the Animal Medical Center of Bradenton and EpiPet, making better skin-coated ear care products for healthier pets everywhere. And to remind everybody, if you go to EpiPet, that's epi-pet.com, and you use the code THEPETBUZZ, you you will get a 25% discount on the EpiPet products, which are so good for dogs and cats. I I hope my shipping department heard that. Yes, I'm sure they did. Okay. So if you have any questions, write to us at team at thepetbuzz.com. We will talk about this on our show next week. Sure, and if you've missed any portion of the show, visit our social media channels as well as your favorite streaming channels and listen to the Link Podcast on Monday morning. We have such a ride doing this show. Most importantly, remember, we're here each week 
to help you take better care of your pets. Peace out and pet love. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Pet Buzz. The Pet Buzz is hosted by the dynamic pet duo, pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and Dr. Michael Fleck. Tune in each week for the latest 411 on everything pet related. Visit our website at www.thepetbuzz.com. Learn more about us, the show, and our guests.